Now, News Talk Radio CJAD 800 presents the CEO Series. Insights from top business leaders. Your host is Carl Moore. Welcome to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. The CEO Series takes you inside our capstone MBA class at McGill. Each week, we sit down with some of Canada's, indeed the world's top leaders, to discuss strategy, leadership, and today's pressing business issues. And some of the world's top leaders have spent time with us. Justin Trudeau, Mohamed Yudis Nobel, Peace Prize winner, and Joanne Liu, former international president of Doctors Without Borders. This show gives you a thin, well, perhaps not so thin slice of the kind of thoughtful leaders our Miguel MBAs are exposed to. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Michael Denham, President and CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, headquartered here in Montreal at PVM. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. Well, Carl, thanks for having me. It's a great series, and I'm really happy to be part of it. So tell us about your early years. Where did you grow up, and how did your family influence you? So I grew up in Toronto. Parents arrived in Canada in, just after they got married in the mid-50s. Um, Canada was a land of milk and honey back there, and the plan was to um, work for a couple of years and go back to England, where they're from. And um, kind of here we are uh, many, many years later, and uh, my dad's still here. Um, so highly influential. Um, my parents had a real focus on, uh, well, two things. And uh, again, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, and the two things were kind of work hard and to uh, get educated. And uh, that was uh, drummed in me and instilled in me from early days. You ended up going to uh, down to the States and then the UK. Where did you go to school and what did you study? So I went to Princeton for my undergrad and then London School of Economics for graduate work. And at Princeton, it was called the Woodrow Wilson School. They changed it since uh, the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs and then a master's in economics at the LSE. So did you work between those two degrees or was it straight from one to the other? Straight from one to the other. And then I started work at McKinsey uh, when I finished LSE um, in 1987. So did you play hockey at Princeton? Is my memory serving me right? Yeah, and you and I have had the pleasure to play hockey together. Uh, I did play hockey at Princeton. Um, I was uh, not, um, uh, let's say, I wasn't a first liner, let's put it that way. <laughs> but still a great honor to play one of the great hockey schools of the world. I look, I look good in orange and black. Well, there we are. What did you want to do growing up? What was your, like, in high school, that sort of thing? Did you have a dream that you wanted to be something back then? Well, not really. I think like a lot of kids, you know, in my, when I was very, very young, like five, six, seven, I, I vacillated between wanting to be an astronaut or wanting to be a hockey player because we all wanted to be a hockey player and astronaut. I'm sure, I'm sure you did as well. And then uh, I didn't really think much about my um, career um, until uh, early days at university. I had one of those, one of those pioneering early versions of um, a kind of psychometric assessment or psychological assessment to determine what professions or what careers your personality lines up best against. And uh, there were two things that um, really stuck out. There were two career paths that lined up pretty well with my personality. The first was um, uh, being a clergyman. And the second was going into management and consulting. And it was never that religious. So uh, I left one of the two options as, um, uh, out there for me. So those tests appear, in your case, to have been reasonably accurate. Right. And we didn't want to, I didn't want to overanalyze something that was done many, many years ago. But what, what those two things have in common, uh, being a clergyman and being a management consultant is um, uh, you are um, in a line of work where you are um, kind of working on behalf of others and trying to kind of help others improve and become better. Uh, and at the essence, that's what being a good management consultant is all about. So it isn't, they seem a little bit weird when you look at them as two, uh, two options for the same personality, but they actually do share a lot of, um, uh, a lot of similar attributes. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of BDC. So 
clearly you're a leader today. When did you first see yourself as a leader? Was it back in high school or when did you start thinking, maybe I can be a leader? That's funny. When I was in elementary school, um, I wasn't so much a leader. Uh, I was just bossy. So I was able to kind of refine, refine that, that, that bossiness into some leadership skills. But uh, my last year in high school in Toronto, I was um, kind of head prefect, school captain, whatever, whatever word you want to choose, uh, kind of chosen by my peers to uh, represent them. And that was my first real uh, opportunity for formal leadership. And uh, again, it was being the, um, at the high school level, but uh, you learn a lot about whether you like to be a leader, uh, whether you're successful, uh, whether uh, others are inclined to kind of rally to things you're focused on. So it was the first real chance I had, and uh, I enjoyed it. Why did you leave Canada to go to school? Uh, why I went to school in the States and the UK as well. But so what, what led you to that decision to go to Princeton, then LSC? Well, the Princeton one was really um, an extension of my parents' values, where my dad, especially my, my father, um, who still works, by the way, he's 91, and he still goes to his, into his office at York and King, uh, downtown Toronto every day. For him, it was one of those things where you, you, do, you do whatever you need to do to make sure you get the best possible educational opportunity. Uh, and there are and were fantastic universities in Canada, but we looked at Princeton as in a kind of different league. Uh, and he was uh, very encouraging of the idea. And uh, that value kind of passed on to me. So I was given the opportunity and I jumped at it. And the LSC was um, a bit different. Uh, I received a Commonwealth scholarship, so the financial burden um, went away. And uh, what I was looking for was um, something different to Princeton. Uh, Princeton was fairly, kind of fairly rigid, uh, fairly um, uh, tight educational approach. And the LSE uh, was fairly kind of wide open in the sense you can really uh, pursue your academic interests. And uh, again, back then anyway, the image of the LSE uh, was quite radical, um, founded by a bunch of Fabian socialists, schooled a lot of the uh, post-colonial leaders uh, in, the, in the Commonwealth, uh, in the 60s, it was where the journalists on Fleet Street went to um, look at uh, kind of campuses on fire and cars being turned over. So I thought that would be a nice compliment to my four years at Princeton. Um, but I got there in 1986, and the LSE was actually obsessed with the Big Bang and the financial markets. And all of my LSE friends were focused on getting jobs in investment banks. So it wasn't quite the radical socialist experience that I was looking forward to. As I recall, one of your sons ended up going to Princeton undergrad as well. Just graduated. Did you inspire him to do that? I mean, did you try to talk him into it or did he more just go, hey, dad went to Princeton's kind of opened his eyes to the possibility? Uh, it was more that. And, and also the same value I passed on to all my kids about uh, taking full advantage of whatever educational opportunities present themselves. Uh, and he worked hard and was able to get in. I think because he uh, had such a positive image of the school from my four years there, it was pretty high up on his list. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. So your first job was McKinsey, and you spent many, many years there. What were the what were the couple of key things you learned from McKinsey that have served you throughout your career now? Well, I think the first thing, uh, so I started at the age of 23, and I hadn't gone through, I hadn't worked before, really. Uh, I hadn't um, had the type of rigorous education, Carl, that you and your colleagues um, provide your MBA students. Um, I had a master's in economics, uh, but it was more qualitative than quantitative economics background. So uh, I felt young, frankly, and un unprepared. And uh, the one thing it, it um, drilled in me for my first couple of years, or two things, I guess, were one, to be um, deferential and respectful to those around me. A lot of folks come into um, uh, life as a consultant and assume they have all the answers. Uh, I was actually um, on the opposite end of the spectrum where I assumed 
that all the people around me had kind of good intentions and good ideas. And as a result, I think from that, I've been able to tap into the best of people. And then the second thing I really, that really drilled into me was um, just the need to be self-aware. Because when you're sitting at, in a client organization, you're, I don't know, at the time, mid-40s or so, and you have some 23-year-old kind of droning on about something, uh, it can be irritating. So I realized that you need to be very self-aware. And in being self-aware, you can see the effect you're having on others. And as a result, you can adapt uh, how you work, what you say to have your ideas and your thoughts embraced rather than rejected. So it was really, um, so the two things were self-awareness and um, uh, an implicit, not deference, but an implicit um, trust and belief I have in those people around me. Michael, how long were you at McKinsey for? I was there for 14 years. What do you need to become a partner at McKinsey? Well, I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, this is, this was 2001. So a long time ago, um, McKinsey continues to be a, a great firm. And you look at the caliber of partners and people they have, um, and they're uh, really excellent. So I don't think it's changed that much. And it really was all about leadership. And do you show uh, leadership with your clients? Are you helping them find new opportunities uh, and capture those new opportunities? Are you showing leadership internally? Are you, are you creating opportunities for others as a leader to pursue their passions with clients uh, or with intellectual property? Um, are you viewed as a good day-to-day leader of people to help them um, kind of grow and develop as professionals? So the, com- the common theme was leadership. And um, in every environment, people have different attributes they tap into. Uh, but what was, what was important there, and frankly, in most places, uh, is demonstrated leadership. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of BDC. What differentiates a crown corp like BDC from a more traditional business? That's up next. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. You're listening to the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, headquartered here in Montreal. In your corporate career sense at Bombardier, uh, BDC, and so on, when do you look at using consultants? Because you've been one, you understand their side of the table. What is your advice for CEOs in terms of when are consultants appropriate to use? So that's, that's a very good question. Uh, obviously, there are certain parts of business uh, like IT that are all about consultants, right? So uh, that's not your question. You're, you're more focused on kind of strategy and business. Two areas where I've found it useful um, is number one, where there is a strategic question. It's the first time the organization has to answer that strategic question. And by definition, there's nobody internally that has experience. So for us, for example, a number of years ago, it was all around um, a pretty basic issue. Now it was all around uh, the right way to digitize BDC. Uh, And like for every organization, digitization, advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, these these certainly back then were new frontiers. So we didn't have any skill set inside. So I knew it would be important to get the best thinking from outside where there was experience. So that was an example. Um, And a second example is, um, again, depending on, some organizations are good at execution, some aren't. And I found certain um, types of implementation challenge, uh, companies where I've been just aren't that good. And uh, bringing in place consultants to help just kind of create the focus, provide extra arms and legs, create a sense of urgency and pace uh, can also be very important. So those would be two two specific ways that uh, I benefited from getting outside help involved in recent situations. How and why did you uh, transit from management consulting to Bombardier? What led to that decision? 
Well, I've been at, Mc, at McKinsey for 14 years. Um, I um, uh, had had a great time, but I was ready for something new. It was the only real job I'd had, only environment where I worked. So my antenna and I were tuned. And uh, one of my closest friends was in the search business. And he called me uh, to describe this opportunity at Bombardier. And he basically said, for someone like you, he said, for someone like you, you may think you're ready to become CEO somewhere, but let me tell you something, uh, you're not. And most folks coming out of consulting firms aren't. So you need to kind of cut your teeth a bit in a real corporate environment. So this opportunity, Bombardier was there. It was a senior vice president for strategy, uh, M&A, and uh, international partnerships. And uh, the, the plan that we were on was I would take this role. Uh, Bombardier, this was 2001, uh, was an extremely acquisitive company. Uh, and the hope would be there'd be um, an acquisition that I would be in the middle of that would lead to some sort of uh, operating role. And then over time, I'd um, uh, develop some operating skills to go alongside my strategy skills. Uh, clearly, this plan, um, uh, I joined Bombardier uh, two weeks before 9-11. And uh, even though it was a long time ago, uh, the company really, I don't think, made any acquisitions of note since then. So uh, the plan changed quite rapidly uh, at, at a thrilling four years. Um, but that was the, the, the backdrop to why I decided to leave McKinsey to come to Bombardier and move to Montreal. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of BDC. So Paul Tellier was your boss for a number of those years. Uh, I co-taught my CEO class with Paul. What are one or two things that Paul taught you as a leader that you still you took away from working with him? Well, he taught me a lot. Uh, he is probably the best leader I've worked with, and people uh, ask me the leader from whom I've learned the most. Uh, it would be him. The first thing that he shared with me uh, is uh, he would kind of categorize people in two categories. You're either a simplifier or a complicator. Uh, and uh, to me, that's very important uh, to be a simplifier and not to be simplistic. The being simplistic is you take complicated issues, you take complex issues uh, and you um, pretend they're simple. A simplifier who is someone who can take complex issues and understand and communicate them in a simple way. So I think that's a, real, that's a real test of communications. That's a real test of synthesis. Uh, so that's one thing that I've always tried to do my best to be. Um, second is um, he calls things as they are. And a lot of companies have cultures that are based on uh, wishful thinking or rounding up or hope, whatever. Uh, and Paul was very clear at just trying to do his best to see things as they are for better or worse, because when you do that, uh, you can solve the things that are worse. And he was very good at that. And then thirdly, he has a ton of courage. And he was um, uh, in a very difficult position, uh, as we all were. Uh, and he had the courage to tackle shibboleths and uh, make good decisions. And it's often easier just to take the easy path. Uh, he showed me the benefit of being courageous and taking the right path. What attracted you, Michael, to BDC? Why did you want to take on the role of CEO? So, Carl, after McKinsey, I had Mavardier, I worked um, at CGI briefly, Accenture for a while. So I had been um, working in, in the, the kind of the, the private sector um, in a consulting or strategy environment, various roles of leadership from 1987 up till uh, 2015. Um, and it was just at a stage where I wanted to do something that had a, a level of satisfaction that was beyond just um, improvements within the four walls of a business. That was beyond just um, success measured through um, financial or business growth. So I just uh, talked to a lot of people. Um, the current deputy minister of finance, Paul Rochon in Ottawa was um, extremely helpful here. 
And uh, I talked at length with people around kind of given that what options would present themselves. Uh, I talked a little bit about joining the bureaucracy, if you will, in Ottawa. And uh, I was discouraged from doing that because of um, just the, the constraints it would represent. Uh, but I was quickly pointed in the direction of a number of crown corporations that, that, that uh, again, combined my skills of being um, a leader of a corporation or business, uh, but in a setting where there was more to be done than just grow and produce good returns. Uh, there was more to be done, which was to deliver on the kind of policy mandate that lies at the essence of all these crown corporations uh, and BDC being available at the time and also Montreal-based was a, a logical place uh, for me. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. It's interesting that I talked to Paul one time about um, how business is always lecturing government to be more businesslike. And so I asked Paul, because he had ran, he'd been clerk, ran the government, ran Bombardier and CN. And I'll ask, let me ask you the same question, because you've been in big business, Bombardier, been McKinsey, Accenture. What is it that a BDC can teach business? What is it that we can learn from government, in this case, the Crown Corp? I would, it's, I would separate BDC and Crown Corps from government, because um, even though we, um, we have one shareholder, which is the government, um, again, having spent my whole life in private sector corporations, BDC does not feel dissimilar. Uh, it behaves, we have the same types of disciplines, the same type of stretch, the same type of incentives, same type of compensation. So it feels much more like a, um, a, a business, if you will, than a government department. Um, that said, uh, the one thing that I've learned at BDC, which is something I share with uh, my CEO colleagues, um, is the importance of purpose. And a BDC, we're, we're a B Corp, um, and a, B, a BDC is fundamentally purpose-driven, and our purpose is to kind of help Canadian entrepreneurs. And we do that by giving them access to, to financing. And with this purpose, it is an incredible source of motivation and, to our people. And it's an incredible way to kind of sort through what matters versus what doesn't. Uh, and then communicate what matters internally in a way to excite people. So I encourage folks to really think about the businesses they're in, the businesses they own, the businesses they lead, uh, and you can't make this stuff up. It needs to be authentic. But what is the purpose of your business? Um, how is that purpose going to help you find success? How's your purpose going to attract and motivate your team? And that, I think, is something that um, all companies can learn, not just from crowns, but from B Corps and companies that are fundamentally um, purpose-driven. Danone is probably the best example, Carl, around the world of a large-scale consumer goods company that kind of gets the importance of purpose and has kind of rewired its DNA uh, with purpose being at the core. And then shareholder, uh, customer, market share success uh, is the result of that. So what's the purpose of BDC? So at BDC, Carl, there are uh, three things we do for entrepreneurs. We provide term loans. So these are um, like five to 20 year loans. We can give them more flexibility, um, uh, more support, more patience than a lot of other sources do. The second thing we do is we, we um, BDC Capital, we're an investor. We're actually Canada's largest venture capital investor. Uh, and we play that role because uh, there's always been a dearth of venture capital from the private sector in Canada and supporting the uh, uh, innovation sector is so critical uh, that the government decided to uh, get into VC through us. And then the third thing we do is uh, we offer consulting advisory services to our clients. Um, and it's consulting uh, in bite-sized chunks for relatively small companies. And we focus on helping them, the, the leader, the entrepreneur become a better leader. We're speaking today with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. Up next, we'll be discussing the effect of the pandemic on BDC and entrepreneurship here in Canada. 
I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. This is the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, headquartered here in Montreal. So how many employees there and how many clients do you have across the, the country? So we have uh, 2,400 employees. Um, our assets are about $35 billion, uh, in size, so about the same size as Laurentian Bank. And uh, we have 70,000 clients across the country. Uh, and again, we have offices uh, from um, kind of St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, right through to Terrace, B.C., uh, so in a lot of the, obviously, all the, all the big cities, but we have a presence in um, kind of mid-sized and smaller towns because uh, it's important for us to be close to entrepreneurs. Earlier this year, you opened BDC Square. What was the idea behind the space and, and why does it exist? So our head office is in uh, Placeville Marie, and uh, we just completed uh, an extensive uh, renovation of the whole layout. And uh, collaboration is um, the design feature, as so many other uh, companies have discovered. BDC Square is on the main floor, and um, it's a reception area, but it's also a gathering area. Uh, so we use it internally um, for kind of training, meetings, et cetera. But what we want to do is um, have our clients use it for their events as well, because a lot of clients, um, our clients, don't have um, kind of space in their factories or space in their offices to kind of gather. So we want to make this to be a very porous, very open, um, very accessible uh, place for entrepreneurs to gather, to learn from each other, to share, uh, for entrepreneurship to be celebrated. Over time, we'll have a bit of a, a kind of um, uh, almost, uh, I don't want to say museum, but there'll be a corner of it that is uh, changes over time that uh, highlights key aspects of entrepreneurship in Canada. Uh, so it becomes a real place that the, the, the Canadians, Montrealers, Quebecers uh, associate with uh, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And it's a way for us to celebrate how important this part of the economy is. One of the biggest trends in business these days is digitization. COVID-19 has put it on steroids, if you will. What has BDC been doing about the fact that big and small business alike need digitization? Internally, we, uh, in, as all companies had, we invested in uh, making folks mobile to work remotely. And the big test was March the 16th, uh, I think it was 16th or 17th that Monday, where we went from basically everybody working in the office on the Friday to every single BDC employee working at home on the Monday. Um, and it was smooth. It was, it was remarkably, and even though we had thought it would be fine, it was surprisingly smooth. So we've been working incredibly productively with every single BDC employee um, working out of office since March. And that has a whole host of issues around um, mental health and wellness that we can get into if you'd like. Uh, with respect to um, uh, other aspects, we have been digitizing um, uh, how we work with the goal of making ourselves as easy as possible for clients to work with. So an example, we have um, uh, uh, what we call the, an express loan. It's on our iPad or iOS environment, so it's on our iPad. And it's allowed for the past <clears throat> couple of years, uh, every single account manager to go sit down with their client in their client's premises and authorize a loan up to $750,000. It may sound basic, but it's actually quite, uh, it's a bit of a first. And uh, BDC's become a bit of a poster child for Apple in its communication with its banking clients around the world around how to take advantage of the iOS environment to be distinctive in terms of how you serve clients. And we're also um, uh, making our online lending platform. So you at your desk on a self-service basis can request a loan. And um, literally, we're, as we speak, we're implementing the next phase of this, which will make these transactions touchless and, um, and almost real time 
for a large percentage of folks applying for loans. But again, our goal was not so much to make ourselves productive and take out steps. The starting point is to make our, cl- our client experience um, as fast and as smooth and as impressive as possible. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of BDC. That must have been quite the the, the weekend where you Friday everybody's at work, and ultimately you have to decide. I mean, you talk to the board and you do various things, but you had to decide we're shutting it down. Was it like Saturday morning that just like how did that mo- when did that moment occur? Yeah, you know, I think it was um, it was one of those things where it, it didn't really feel. I don't think we had a choice. I think the public health situation was was deteriorating so rapidly. Uh, the direction from the authorities was to um, basically lock down. And we knew that this was the um, uh, only way we could do it. And for us, especially given that we're a crown corporation or values, uh, we didn't hesitate a second to do this. And uh, we felt confident we had the platform in place to pull it off. But there was lots of scrambling for kind of VPN networks and we're kind of running out of computers and what have you. But uh, the team did a remarkable job and uh, pulled it off very, very smoothly. So you have this beautiful BDC space downtown. Which is empty now, by the way. Yeah, and, and rightly so. But it's something where, where do you see BDC evolving in terms of how much do we work from home? How much do we work from the office? What's your sense where that may go, go to in the next year or two? You know, we, we, we discussed this so much internally. And my view is it's a bit, it's a bit premature to lock into. So let's, the assumption is um, at some point in time, we're going to get through this. Um, we'll have a vaccine. Uh, the public health situation will get back under control. Um, but at that point in time, a lot of us will have worked from home or remotely for nine months to 12 months, and we've seen how possible and practical it is. Um, so um, then there is a decision to make, to your point, around what does the workplace look like at that point in time? So personally, and this is a personal view now, uh, I don't like the idea of having an entire company work remotely indefinitely. I think um, you lose out on culture. Um, what makes work fun, frankly, and fun's important are all the interactions and the friendships and learning and the collaboration, which you can do remotely, but it's not the same thing. Um, but it also doesn't make sense to get back to the way we worked, which was kind of by and large, people kind of came in five days a week. So uh, we're exploring options. We're talking to um, uh, everybody in BDC to get their views. Um, we don't need to lock into any decisions on this in the near term, so we won't. But um, this is something that is um, really is top of mind because people want the simplicity of working remotely, but especially for us, people do want uh, the chance to kind of get back into the office and interact and have fun with their colleagues. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. What role has BDC played in helping entrepreneurs weather the pandemic? It's been tough for a lot of businesses. How has BDC been helping? It's been um, uh, intense for us since March. And if you kind of go back to March, um, the first economic response uh, the government had was to recapitalize BDC and EDC so we could lend more. And at the same time, they made some changes to get the banks to lend more as well. So what happened uh, once that was announced, a big surprise, is that um, tens of thousands of entrepreneurs uh, called us to um, see if they could arrange for financing. So our online lending platform that I described uh, in the three weeks from mid-March to early April got as many requests for loans as we normally do in a full year. Over the course of March, April, May, uh, we issued 14 times more, 14 times more working capital loans, which is what companies need right now than we typically do. And we were doing all this while working remotely. 
so it was, um, we were kind of frontline from day one. And then as more and more government programming was brought to bear, so the SEBA program, the wage subsidy, et cetera, some of the pressure, kind of, and as the bank stepped in and injected uh, more credit to the market, the pressure on us subsided. Um, but for March, April, May, probably early June, uh, it was incredibly intense for uh, each and every employee of BDC because we wanted to be as fast as we could and do as much as we can because we realized that entrepreneurs were depending on us. Are there some industries, like I've interviewed some restaurateurs, that's been particularly hard hit. Which industries are the hardest hit? Are, are there some industries that have done reasonably well during the pandemic? A number have. Um, I think technology industries have done very well. I think anything involved in um, food and food processing uh, have done well. Um, and I think what's happening now as, as the um, economy continues to recover is that these types of sectors um, uh, are recovering, in some cases almost fully. But you do find tourism, hospitality, restaurants, any sector, any, any companies that require um, physical proximity uh, in their business models uh, continue to struggle. And uh, frankly, if there is a, um, another round of public health issues in the fall, um, are going to struggle uh, quite intensely. So it's, um, uh, I don't want to say kind of tale of two economies because it's not as though um, every other sector is fine, but a lot of other sectors have bounced back, have a bounce back in their step now, um, but not these sectors. And I do worry in the event that there's um, another public, another, another bout of, of, of severe public health issues concern and uh, potential for uh, at least a partial lockdown. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. Up next, we'll talk about work-life integration. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. You're listening to the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada, headquartered here in Montreal. Michael, with the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, new attention is being paid to the hurdles that face black entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color. How does BDC support those entrepreneurs? How has that changed in the past few months? So we've been active as part of our mandate um, for a long time to make sure that uh, all entrepreneurs in the country get access to the resources they need to um, start their businesses, grow their businesses. But uh, it became clear um, as Black Lives Matter caused, uh, I think, all of us to really truly and honestly reflect on what we're doing. Uh, it became clear to me and to us that we weren't uh, doing enough. So I get happily and proudly signed the Black North Pledge, uh, which committed BDC to do a number of things that we are already active on. Um, at the same time, we uh, are in discussions both on the venture capital side, as well as the lending side with others uh, to uh, basically make more um, uh, accessible uh, financing from BDC and others to help black entrepreneurs. So in Toronto, there's a group uh, which uh, has emerged from Ryerson's um, DMZ, Digital Media Zone. Uh, it's now, uh, this group is now also being supported by Mars. So we're in discussions with them around a way to get some early stage venture capital brought to bear from BDC to help these entrepreneurs black with their great ideas get going. And then we're talking to a lot of the, uh, the banks as well around um, a kind of lending funds. So for more traditional black entrepreneurs that have that difficulty getting access to what they need through um, the traditional banking sources, um, put in place a solution that's more accessible for them to tap into to grow their businesses. 
What about indigenous entrepreneurs? I'm sure that there's something you've tuned into having offices around the country, but has it received a renewed emphasis in the last few years? It has. And we have a, within BDC, we have um, one of our business units. It's called the Indigenous Business Unit. And it's a team of um, uh, almost a dozen people across the country that um, service and work with Indigenous entrepreneurs. At the same time, uh, we also recognize that's not enough. We need to do more. So we're in the process, so we're in the middle of discussions, negotiations with a group called NACA, which is the National Aboriginal uh, Capital Corporation. Uh, and NACA is a group that, that represents uh, and works with um, uh, called AFIs, Aboriginal financial institutions across the country. And what we're trying to put in place is a fund that would, get, would flow through NACA to these AFIs to give them more liquidity. And with that liquidity, uh, they can do more with respect to lending to Indigenous entrepreneurs. So that's something that we were um, very close to completing. Uh, we signed a term sheet at NACA's annual event in February. Uh, obviously, lots of other priorities on their side have presented themselves. Uh, but I expect we'll translate this term sheet into uh, an actual deal in the weeks ahead. And uh, I think it'll be, um, it'll be significant. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. And today I'm speaking with Michael Denham, CEO of BDC. BDC is a crown corp. Who's your boss, Michael? Who do you report to? So we have a board, independent board and a chair. Uh, and our chair is a, um, a gentleman who spent um, his whole career in banking. So he's been a huge uh, asset and resource for me personally and for BDC over the past couple of years. Uh, and then the, the responsible minister for BDC is the minister for small business and international trade, uh, who is Minister Mary Ng right now. She's an MP from Toronto. How much of your time is spent reporting in and how much is running the organization? Very little is, is spent reporting in. The way it works for BDC is every year, once a year, we submit a corporate plan that kind of lays out um, our objectives and goals and commitments for the year. Uh, we're self-funding like any company. Um, so our net income goes into a balance sheet. We use that to lend more. So we're autonomous operationally. So there's very little reporting in. However, um, we do engage with the shareholder, with Ottawa, a lot on issues of policy and uh, where are their financing gaps, where are their segments that aren't getting access to what they need, um, where are some holes in venture capital have to get filled. So we have um, ongoing engagement on issues of policy and issues of, of um, um, financial solutions to policy requirements. Uh, so it's actually quite interesting for me, uh, but there's very little checking in. Michael, are you more of an introvert or an extrovert? Yeah, I think we, you know what's interesting, Carl. I think I know you're you're an expert on this. Uh, I think we've all had to ask ourselves that question as to how we felt since March. And uh, I haven't done a lot of socializing um, or seeing people, uh, and I've actually been fine with that. So I think it's it's, and I, I think I've asked me this before, and I think I'm an introvert who pretends to be an extrovert. Uh, and I think what I've seen since March actually confirms that I'm somewhere. If the introverts over here and extroverts over here, I think I'm closer towards this end of the scale. Um, but I can fake it when I have to. How many people are at home during the lockdown? Is it how much of the family have been at home during this lockdown? Our youngest uh, and our middle child have been here since March. He, the middle child came home from Queens, and then we spent the summer with the uh, elders as well. So we've had all five of us together since um, uh, late June. So that's a, that's a nice blessing coming out of this. Is time that you may not expect it together as a family. Exactly, it's one of the um, one of the few. I mean, think about it, one of the, one of the few blessings, right? And I think a lot of us have had the um, the happiness of being able to reconnect with, uh, especially our nuclear families. And for us, it's been great because 
Our eldest has been away at boarding school and university now for six years. Our middle son's been away at university boarding school for four years. Um, we're about to lose our youngest to boarding school. So to have that whole gang back together, uh, it's, been, um, it's, been, it's been really nice. One of the things I think many of us worked too much in the early days of the pandemic, did you learn to kind of calm down and set boundaries? Did you have to go through that, that, that kind of experience? I did. Uh, it was actually uh, overwhelming uh, at first. So I didn't do a very good job with uh, boundaries. I was actually uh, not accustomed and comfortable to dealing with folks through Zoom and WebEx. So, um, uh, and I tend to sleep very well. I didn't sleep very well for late March and um, the first part of April. Um, but eventually as, as we got our, 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 and that was, and once we got our plan in place and we knew exactly what we needed to do and we got the capital in place to do that, uh, then it was executing uh, and then I could get back into normal balance. But while we were kind of setting that plan in those, in those crazy, stressful, difficult days of March and April, um, I, didn't, I didn't have my balance. What do you do to get away from the stress of it all, workout? How do you keep in good health physically and mentally? So we do exercise a lot. We have a Peloton bike here, which has been priceless uh, since um, uh, this all started. And uh, once the weather got nice and the rules were relaxed, I played a lot of uh, golf and went for hikes outdoors, um, got away to the country house for a while. I'm an active sports watcher, as you know. So once the, the Habs came back, that was good. Once the Raptors came back, that was good. But I've always been, been good balancing things and just kind of turning work off. Uh, when I'm able to, and I've been able to kind of get back into that mode um, for the past few months. How much do you miss being in a game at the Bell Center? Are you really anxious to get back at some point when you can? Not really. Uh, I miss uh, other things. I miss uh, not being able to play hockey. I don't know if you're back in the rink, but I haven't been back in the rink since March. Um, I'm not yet comfortable going to the gym, so I miss um, the interactions I have at the gym. Um, uh, so those are the things I miss. Uh, I'm not a big movie goer. Uh, I don't go to Habs games much anymore. Uh, what I miss big time, frankly, is um, flying and meeting our clients. Uh, I typically spend in a month, um, I don't know, 40% of my time uh, on the road um, with my colleagues and with clients. I uh, haven't done that since March. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm missing because that's how I get, that's how I learn. Um, that's how I get a sense of whether we're doing the best possible work we can do. And I haven't really had that um, face-to-face type of interaction with our clients since March. What book are you reading right now, Michael? Well, the real pick-me-up is called The Deaths of Despair and the Future of Capitalism. You've probably read it. Uh, I guess it's a left-leaning book, and it just talks about, it's about the U.S. and the deaths of despair that have been so chronic and unique to the U.S., uh, and what is it about it, and what are some of the solutions. Uh, it doesn't quite out make, doesn't quite flat out make the argument for the basic income, but it goes in that direction. Uh, and frankly, as a Canadian, you read it and you feel quite proud about many aspects of our um, social net and social fabric and healthcare system. This is the CO Series. Michael, thank you for joining us today. This show is produced by Marie Labrosse. We'd also like to thank our technical producer, Marco Campagna. Thank you for tuning into the CO Series. À la prochaine. For more info and full interviews, go to cjad.com now.